0: I'm not sure if they still do it this way but when I was at school the way they picked teams was they chose the two best players of that particular sport and the rest of us were all lined up against a wall and uh, one by one the captains would pick the players for their team. Now to me, that is a pretty cruel way to pick teams in school. It's fine if you're a fantastic athlete or sports person but if you're asthmatic like me, a little bit chubby, like me, and had two left feet, like me, it wasn't the most edifying or encouraging part of my childhood. You would stand there, uh, sweat dripping off you, knowing that you were going to be in the last you picked. You didn't want to be last because if you were last, you knew that they'd only picked you because there was no one else. In fact, they would probably rather be a man down than have you on their side. So I wasn't great at sports and in teams at school. But when I was a clown at Clowney Junior High, they announced that they were going to start a cricket team. Now, with having asthma, I couldn't play rugby or football because I couldn't run too much. But I figured I could run between two sets of stumps. So for weeks, I went out to cricket practice. I poured my heart into it. I thought, you know what? I can do this. I know I can make the cricket team. And I remember the day when they were putting up the team on the notice board at break time i ran down to the notice board and there was a crowd of guys around it and i'm a little bit short-sighted but from a distance i could see my name at the bottom of the list craig cooney there it was and there was something in brackets beside it i couldn't make out. did it say captain no it said kit man that's right kit man. I was the guy who was going to lug the pads and the stumps and the bats around. I wasn't actually going to play on the team. I was just the kit man, not the most inspiring or edifying moment of my life. My therapist tells me that in a few years I'll probably get over it, but right now it's still a little bit raw. You know, I'm so glad that God doesn't pick teams the way we do. That he doesn't look for the most athletic, or the most beautiful, or the most gifted, or the most talented, or the most uh, important, or the most rich in our society. God uses the people we would pick last. And we see that in the story of Gideon. We're on week three, the final week of the story of Gideon. This little series we've done that's called When Fear Goes Viral. And I don't have time to go into what we've looked at so far. If you want to, you can go back and look at the last few weeks. But basically, God's people, Israel, are completely devastated. There's this bunch of people called the Midianites. And every year, when uh, God's people plant their crops... The Midianites wait until harvest time. And it says like a swarm of locusts, they descend upon the land of Israel and they destroy their crops. But not only that, they kill all the livestock and animals too. Now, I have to be honest. Destroying my crops would not be that huge a deal for me. If you want to take my cabbages and carrots you're more than welcome to them. If you want to steal my Brussels sprouts and my broccoli, that is fine. But don't touch my fillet steaks. Don't touch my livestock. I can live without all the veggies, no problem. I do it, and I'm perfectly healthy, but I don't want to live without steak. I know all the vegetarians and vegans out there are probably uh, having a bit of a, a fit right now. You want to turn off the TV but you just don't have the energy probably to get off the sofa and do that. Uh, sorry about that. If you want to complain, you can send me an email, uh, Emerson at emmanuelchurch.co.uk. But anyway, the people are living in absolute terror and dread. They're self-isolating, they're in quarantine, they're living in caves, they're living in holes, and they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to make it through another day. These were the people of God. They were supposed to be enjoying the abundance of life in the promised land. And yet because of their sin, and because of their idolatry, and because of their immorality, God has lifted his hand of blessing and protection off them. And so they're living hopeless, destructive, devastated lives. Eventually, things get so terrible and so unbearable that they cry out to the Lord for help. And you know what God does? God, in his kindness and his love and his mercy and his grace, he hears their prayer and he responds to the cries of his people. And he starts with this one man, this one man called Gideon. Gideon, when we meet him in uh, Judges chapter 6, he's hiding in a wine press. He's terrified of the Midianites. He's literally, he's, he's, he's put himself in a depressed place. He's in a hole in the ground. And God shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon is looking around him because he knows and everyone else knows that Gideon might be many things, but right now he's not a mighty warrior. But as we said last week, God who created us knows what he has placed inside us, sees into the future and from the future speaks into our present and calls out what he has placed within us. God knows what he has put inside you. Man of God, woman of God, child of God. He has put inside you courage. He has put inside you faith. He has put inside you hope. He has put inside you light. And right now, in the midst of the darkness and the fear and the discouragement, he is calling that gold, that treasure out of you that you can make a difference. He calls Gideon a mighty warrior, when Gideon is probably more of a mighty warrior at this stage of his life but before Gideon could deal with the enemy out there God first of all tells him I want you to deal with some things much closer to home look at Judges 6 verses 25 and 26 that same night the Lord said to Gideon tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Wow. God tells Gideon, there's some stuff in your own house. There's some stuff in your own home. There's some stuff in your own family. And that's what I want you to deal with first. It's incredible to see that it was actually his own father who had built these idols to Baal and Asherah. They were seen as the fertility gods and that if you worship them and placated them, you would have a good harvest. It didn't seem to be working out very well for them. But along with the worship of Baal and Asherah came all sorts of uh, perverted and wicked and disgusting practices that Yahweh detested. And so God says, Gideon, tear down those Things at home. Tear them down. I remember, it reminds me of Ronald Reagan saying, Gorbachev, tear down that wall. God says there's some things that I will not tolerate any longer in your home, in your family, in your life, and I want you to tear them down. Why? Because private victories in the kingdom always come before public victories. Private devotion comes before public promotion. And so God says, there's things in your home, there's things in your family, there's things in your life, and I'm not going to tolerate them any longer, and I don't want you to tolerate them any longer. They are displeasing and dishonoring to me, and so I want you to deal with them once and for all. Tear them down, get rid of them, destroy them. This time of lockdown and quarantine, for those of you with families, with kids maybe. I'm sure it's been a strange time. I know in our house it is, we're doing okay, but I know some people are finding this very difficult. Some of you are maybe finding things coming to the surface that you've been able to avoid for a long time because you've been so busy with work and sports and friendships and entertainment and other distractions. And now suddenly you're cooped up behind these four walls with these people that you love, but the pressure is building. It's getting tense. And some things that have been pushed down for a long time are starting to come out. Let me say this to you. Tensions and irritations and disagreements are very normal at a time like this, especially when you mix all of those things with fear. And anxiety that people are feeling. Those things are normal. Let's give each other just a little bit of grace at this time. As well as giving each other a little bit of grace, we may also need to give each other a little bit of space. Make use of the exercise time that Boris has given us each day and maybe go out for a walk. Some of you, that might mean a really long walk. But give each other a little bit of grace and a little bit of space. But also, realize that this is maybe an opportunity for you to deal with some of the things at home that you've been putting off. Maybe it's time to have some of those difficult, maybe even awkward conversations that you've been avoiding. Sometimes the hardest people to be really honest with and to confront things with are those in our own family, those we love the most. Maybe it's time to have those conversations, to deepen your relationships, to be really honest about what's not working, to tear down some idols and habits and attitudes and ways of communicating and replace them with new ones that honor each other and glorify God. Imagine when all of this is over and this too shall pass. We need to be reminded of that. This too is going To pass. Imagine when this is all over that you can emerge from this with a stronger marriage, a stronger family, closer relationships, more open communication. That you come out of this more committed, more in love, more devoted to each other than when you went into it. That is entirely possible. Just because you're contained physically doesn't mean your heart has to be contained. You can open your heart and have some of those deep and meaningful and purposeful conversations. So Gideon does what God tells him, but bless him. Look at what we read, verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. I love this. Do you know why? Gideon was afraid, but he did it anyway. Gideon was scared, but his desire to obey God was greater than his fear. He does what God tells him to do. Yes, he might do it at night. Yes, he might do it under the cover of darkness. But the point is this, he still does it. Do you know what? Fearful Obedience to God is better than disobedience. The fear was real. Gideon was taking a huge risk here. His life was possibly at stake. But he chooses not to allow his fear to be greater than his faith in Yahweh, his God. You know, faith isn't denial of the facts, faith isn't ignoring reality. Faith is doing what God wants, even if you're scared, even if you're nervous, even if you're fearful, even if you're apprehensive. And as we look at our situation right now in our world, in our country, in our community, there's no point in pretending it's not that bad. It is. It is bad. People are getting sick. People are dying. People are losing their jobs. And let's be honest, there's a good chance that it'll get worse before it gets better. That's reality. We confront reality. We don't bury our heads in the sand. The fear is real and it will be there. But here's the thing. It does not have to control you and it does not have to consume you. Some of you, just two weeks ago, were full of faith were full of courage. And now you're finding yourself terrified, paranoid, and full of dread. Why? Well, let me ask you, is your risk of infection higher now than it was two weeks ago? Can I say probably for most of you, no. With isolation with uh, so many places being closed, your risk now of being infected is so much lower than it was two weeks ago. So why is, your faith ten, or why is your fear ten times what it was two weeks ago? Why has your faith suddenly shrunk in the last two weeks? Could it be that it's because for the last two weeks you have done nothing but look at your screens? Watching your TV screen, looking at your news screen on your phone, on your iPad, that you have filled your mind with news stories about 18 hours a day of worst case scenarios of death and sickness and disease. Could it be that you're in a WhatsApp group with three or four other people and all you do is talk about negativity and how scared you are and how fearful you are and how things are awful and how things are going to get worse and how everybody's going to die? And then you wonder why your faith has left and you're full of fear, really? You know, if you leave the taps on in your bath and the water's overflowing onto the floor, you can grab a mop and try to mop it up. But do you know what the first course of action should be? Turn the taps off. Turn off the source. Turn off the flow and then deal with the problem. Some of us, our minds are being flooded with fear and we're going and we're trying to mop it up every day, and we're wondering why it's not effective, we need to go to the source and turn off the taps. We need to turn off that fear that's continually filling our minds day after day, moment after moment, and it's drowning out faith. Cut off the source. Let me give you a little task if you're struggling with this. For 24 hours, don't watch TV. Don't read the news. Don't go on social media. I know what a shocking suggestion. But let me tell you, you will not die. But I need to know what's going on. Not much is going to change in the next 24 hours. But apart from you... You might change. In fact, I would guarantee that if you do this, if you're struggling with fear for 24 hours, if you do this, I promise you, you will come out of that 24 hours and you will feel healthier, you will feel lighter, and you will feel more full of faith. Just 24 hours and see what it does. Let me offer one more free piece of wisdom for you right now if you're finding you're increasingly consumed by fear. Shut out the voices in your life that are constantly speaking fear. Shut out those voices that are constantly speaking fear and negativity and hopelessness into your life. Yes, you heard me right. There are some voices that right now you don't need to hear. You know, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes into a house where a little girl has just died. And he walks into the room and everybody's wailing and crying and there's this whole emotion going on. And do you know what Jesus does? We read this in Mark 5, verse 40. He put them all out. He tells them all to get out. He clears the room of the whole lot of them. Why? Because that atmosphere of negativity, that atmosphere of wailing is destroying and sucking the faith out of the room. And Jesus cannot do what he wants to do with that atmosphere of fear. Then he raises the little girl back to life. There are some people in your life that are acting like vampires right now. They're sucking the faith out of you with their words. And you need to simply close the door. You need to put them out in whatever way you can. Maybe that will mean politely leaving a WhatsApp group that you're in. Oh, but they'll be offended. So what? I would rather offend somebody than have them suck the faith out of me during this time. My faith in God is more important to me than them not being offended. Maybe you need to exit some conversations. Maybe when people are constantly talking to you about COVID-19 24 hours a day, you need to just say, look, I don't want to have those conversations for a week and put some boundaries around your life. Maybe you need to unfriend some people on Facebook for a week or two. Oh, Craig, you're so harsh. No, the problem with some Christians is we try to be nicer than Jesus. Jesus cleared the room because he knew in an atmosphere of negativity and fear, faith would be quashed and he couldn't do what he wanted to do. Some of you need to quarantine your heart against the germs of fear right now. I want you to imagine this is a real battle. A war. In many senses it is and and, and many of the, the Prime Ministers and the President's speeches in America they've talked about this as if it's a war. It's a battle for your mind. It's a battle for your health. It's a battle for your faith. You are in a battle. Who do you want around you? Do you want people around you as you go into a battle? People who are speaking fear and terror and dread and discouragement and defeat and loss? Or do you want people who are speaking victory and faith and hope and life and courage and confidence in our God? You see, what happens next in this story is incredible. Look at verses 34 and 35 with me. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Literally, that verse means that the Spirit of God clothed Gideon. I love that sense of God clothing us with his Spirit. But he couldn't do that until Gideon had dealt with the fear. Because fear is a spirit, and the spirit of God and the spirit of fear will not reside side by side. So once Gideon had torn down his father's altar and dealt with the fear, the spirit of fear, the spirit of God is able to clothe him. And he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. Once Gideon has pursed through his own fear, once he has torn down the pagan altars in his own family, something shifts inside him, and that then begins to shift the community and the atmosphere around him. The people get ready to fight. Why? Because just as fear is contagious, so is faith. One man confronts a fear in his life like it's a playground bully. He draws a line in the sand and he says, I will not tolerate this fear any longer. I will not live under the control of this fear any longer. And he confronts the fear in his own life and he punches that bully in the nose and that gives everyone around him the courage to also say, if he's not going to tolerate it, I'm not going to do it either. We're going to confront this together. God always starts with one. We see that throughout Scripture, we see that throughout human history. God doesn't need the majority. God doesn't need a crowd. He needs one man, one woman, one young person who will not be controlled and consumed by the same spirit that is controlling and consuming and containing everybody else. And that one person's faith begins to shift the atmosphere all around them. Could that one person be you? Could that one person be you in your family? Could that one person be you in your social media group? Could that one person of faith be you in your workplace? Maybe you still have to work. Maybe you're a frontline worker. Maybe you work in a supermarket. Maybe you work in a factory. Maybe you're in an office and you're still in work. Could you be the one person who begins to speak faith? Who begins to speak hope? Who begins to speak life and light and the kingdom of God into this situation. Could you shift the atmosphere? God starts with one. Let me tell you a story just from this past week in our own church. On Monday night, one of our beloved members had a very serious stroke. He was rushed by ambulance to Craig Alvin Hospital. They scanned his brain. They found a clot and they immediately blew lighted him in the ambulance down the M1 to the Royal Hospital in Belfast. The doctors and the experts there said not many people would survive a stroke like that. Immediately, I got on to our prayer teams. We had three prayer teams praying fervently for him. They, 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 uh, at hospital, they, they got rid of the clot, or most of it on his brain. Can I tell you, that was Monday night. On Wednesday, that man went home to his wife, completely restored. Why? Well, first of all, can I say our doctors and nurses are amazing. They're incredible and we thank God for them. But can I also say that there's power in prayer, that God has all power and all authority, that God is in control. And when his people in faith call out to him, heaven moves on our behalf. I want to tell you that story simply to give you an example in the midst of all that's going on. Something that will lift your faith. Something that will cause something in your spirit to rise up and say, I'm drawing a line. I'm not going to live like this any longer. I'm not going to be contained and consumed and controlled by fear. But I am going to be a man or woman or child of faith. Our God is still in control. And our God still answers prayer. The hospital staff were amazed. Astounded at this man's recovery. I wasn't. I don't think his wife was. Because we're a people of faith, not fear. So Gideon rallies 32,000 men to go and fight. Now, 32,000 sounds like a lot until you realize that scholars estimate that the enemies they were against had 135,000 soldiers. So 32,000 versus 135,000 doesn't sound like great odds to me. So what does God do? Look at verses two and three in chapter seven. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Why? Well, I can't deliver Midian out into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now I announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. God says to Gideon, you've got too many. If you win this battle with 32,000, you'll think it's because of your strength and your military might and your strategy that you've won and you'll take the glory and the glory is going to go to me. So he says, tell anyone who's scared to go on home. It's okay. Why? Again, when you're in a battle for your life, you don't need people around you who are shaking with fear. You need people around you with courage and faith. So Gideon says, look guys, if you're afraid, that's okay. Go on home. Now, I don't know how many he expected. I reckon he expected maybe 10. Worst case scenario, 100 of these guys would go home. 22,000 of them go home. I can imagine Gideon's face going, guys, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about like really scared. If you're, you know, if you're just a wee bit scared, why don't you stay? No, 22,000 of them go home. That is not a good situation. Seriously. Here's the thing. 22,000 said they were in the army, but when it came time for battle, they were too scared to fight. You see, it's easy to be in the army of the Lord when there's no battles to fight. It's easy to declare we have faith in God when there's nothing you need to have faith and trust for. It's easy to say, I believe God will bring me through anything when there's nothing really that he needs to bring you through right now. But what happens in the storm? What happens in the battle? Are you someone who sings the songs on a Sunday, but when you're in the storm and you're in the battle, it's as if God doesn't exist Folks, I know I'm being strong with you this morning, but I'm treating this fear as seriously as I'm treating this virus. This is a battle we're in, not just with COVID-19, but we are in a battle with fear. And for many of you right now, fear and anxiety and negativity have more chance of destroying the rest of your life than any virus has. Because here's the thing, This is going to pass. This coronavirus thing will go. It may be a month, maybe three months. We don't know, okay? But this will pass. But if you have come into agreement with a spirit of fear, and there is a spirit of fear. The Bible says that in Timothy. Paul says there's a spirit of fear. It's the same word pneuma as he uses for the Holy Spirit. If you've allowed a spirit of fear to contain and control and consume you. Do you think when the virus leaves that the spirit is just going to go too? Absolutely not. If you have allowed, if you've given place, if you've come into agreement with a spirit of fear, when that virus goes, you know what you're going to find? That you're more fearful than ever before. That things that didn't scare you a month ago now terrify you. That you're constantly anxious. That's why I'm coming quite hard on this today. Because I don't want you to live like that. That is no way for the people of God to live. Feeling some fear and apprehension, that is normal, that is natural, that's okay. Taking necessary precautions is right and responsible, but being controlled and being consumed by fear is destructive and damaging and harmful, and it will paralyze you, and it will drain your faith in God. Do you know, apart from a healthy fear of the Lord, the Bible never has one good thing to say about fear. In fact, the most common command in all of Scripture is do not fear. And can I say to you, that is a command. It's not a suggestion. God commands us, do not fear. Just as you wash and sanitize your hands many times each day to get rid of germs, why don't you many times a day when you're doing that just shake off fear? Just shake it off and don't allow those those little germs of fear to attach themselves to your life because when you allow them to get a little foothold, you will discover that foothold soon becomes a stronghold and it begins to control you completely. Break any agreement you have made with fear. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in and fill those places where fear has filled. You know, the Bible says, in 1 John 5.18, that perfect love casts out all fear. In other words, God's love and God's presence and God's power can come in if you're willing. And it will literally displace that spirit of fear in your life. But you have to be willing to allow it to Don't give fear a home in your heart. Be ruthless with fear. Let's keep going. We're very nearly finished. Verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out for you even more. So we're gone from 32,000 to 10,000. And now God says, you've still too many. Remember this is against 135,000. And so he thins out the army even more. Now, I don't have time to go into all the details, but at the end of this, Gideon is left with just 300 men. That's it. 300 men against 135,000. From a military point of view, from any point of view, this is not the most successful looking strategy right now. But here's the thing. It's not just 300 men. It's 300 men plus God. As 300 men plus Yahweh. And when God is with you, the odds are always stacked in your favor. When God is with you, you always have an unfair advantage. When God is with you, Scripture says, who can be against you? Sometimes what I have discovered is that God will strip us back in life to move us forward. He removes things, he removes people because they're holding us back from advancing into the good plans and purposes and future that he has for us. He cuts things off in our lives, not to harm us, not to hurt us, but to heal us. Not to break us, but to bless us. And that's what happens here. So he strips back Gideon's army to just 300 men. These are the men on Gideon's team. And they are men of faith who are willing to fight. And you know what? I would rather go to battle with 300 men full of faith than with 32,000 men consumed with fear. I love what happens next. Verses 9 to 11. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. And listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. God says, look, Gideon, I, I know right now the numbers aren't adding up for you. So if you're still not sure, go down and listen to what the enemies are saying. So they sneak down to the camp. And just as they do, they overhear a conversation between two men on the other side. This is class. Listen to this. Verses 13 and 14. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend his dream. God's timing is impeccable here. I had a dream, he was saying, Martin Luther King. I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, I don't know what school of dream interpretation these guys went to. But how you get a barley loaf running down the hill rolling down a hill, and say, that's Gideon the Israelite. That's a stretch right there. But here's the thing. God supernaturally intervenes. God supernaturally gives these guys dreams and gives them the interpretation that the that the odds would stack up in the favor of his people. Why? Because if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, he will cause his enemies to have even dreams, even nightmares about you. If God is for you, he will cause that which you are afraid of to be fearful of you. Why? Because God is with you. God is in you. And God is for you. Verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Gideon has heard enough. He goes down, he says, man, it's time to go, get up, we're going to go down and kick some Midianite butt. That's in the message version, by the way, the the revised message version, if you're looking for it. Verse 16, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. So with 300 men against 135,000, and what are they armed with? Trumpets, jars, and torches. Sounds just about right. What happens next? In the middle of the night, they surround the enemy camp. Then in verse 20, when Gideon gives the signal, they blow the trumpets, smash the jars, hold up the torches, and shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Look at verse 21, what happens next. While each man held his position round the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Keep that verse on the screen. While each man held his position, the Midianites ran. This is so good. I want you to see this. They don't even have to fight. God doesn't ask them to do anything dramatic or spectacular. What does it say they did? They simply had to hold their position. Stand firm. Don't give up ground. Be immovable. Be unshakable. And God will fight for you. God will cause your enemies to flee. God will destroy that which is seeking to destroy you. Church, right now, I want to say to you, child of God, I want to say to you, this is not a time to give up ground. This is a time to stand firm. Ephesians 6, Paul says, stand, stand firm, stand. And when you've done all, stand. Don't shrink down. Don't be contained or controlled by fear. Stop hiding. Stand your ground. Shake off fear. Put your confidence in the Lord. Be unshakable in your faith. Don't be moved by what you read, but align your life and your thoughts with what God says rather than what you see on your screens. And watch and see what the Lord will do. We're out of time. I just want to finish with a personal story. When I was about 11 years old, one night I was playing in Jervis Street in Portadown outside the YMCA. And a fella called Trevor, who I kind of knew, he was a few years older than me. He came along and I don't know what happened exactly, but he started to bully me and things went from bad to worse. And next thing, he was punching me in the head. And I remember running off, crying, scared. And for a long time after that, I found myself completely consumed and controlled and contained by fear, particularly of Trevor. If I found out Trevor was anywhere, I would run the other way. I was constantly on the watch for him. I was constantly anxious and apprehensive about bumping into him. And it caused me to, to shrink down and live a small life. That was when I was about 11. But a year after that, I started training in martial arts, kung fu and kickboxing. And I actually advanced fairly quickly. In fact, I, at one stage in my early teens, became a Northern Ireland champion in in my age group. But even at that, I was still terrified of Trevor. I was still scared and anxious of bumping into him. And then, (coughs) excuse me, one night when I was about maybe 14, I remember being in Brownstown Park in Portadown. And somebody came up to me and they said, Trevor's around there, you'd better go. And I was about to leave, but I don't know what happened that night. Something snapped within me. And I said, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And I said, where is he? And I couldn't find him. I went around everywhere and I couldn't find him. And in the middle of the park was a, a little council community center. And I went in there and I found Trevor. And do you know what he was doing? He was in the corner crying like a baby saying, Craig, please don't hit me. I'll not tell you if I did or didn't, but it was just before I got saved, okay? Anyway, the point of the story is this. I lived my life contained and controlled and consumed by fear. Not enjoying life as it was meant to be enjoyed. But what I discovered was this. That that which I was scared of was actually scared of me. Child of God, the Bible says this. He that is in you, that's Christ, is greater than him that is in the world. You know, my life is in his hands. I will not die one minute before or one minute after. It is God's time. And that is why I'm not scared. Because I am God's. I belong to him. And my life belongs to him. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray for those who are struggling with fear. And I'm also going to pray for those who don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You see, here's the thing. At the root of all fear is this. It's a fear of death. Because ultimately, the worst thing that can happen to you is dying. But if you deal with that fear of death, then all other fears surrender to that. And we have a God who sent his Son, called Jesus Christ. And he lived the perfect life you and I couldn't live. And he died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And he rose from the grave. And he has conquered death. And if you put your trust and your faith in him, you are promised eternal life. And so I'm going to enable you to do that in a moment or two. But first of all, I want to pray for those who are consumed by fear. I want to break that partnership, that agreement with fear. Would you pray with me? Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, I come against any spirit of fear. I command it to leave. I repent of any partnership or any agreement that I have given fear in my life. And right now, I command fear to go. For you have not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Holy Spirit, would you come in and fill every part of me. May your perfect love cast out all fear. And if you're not a Christian and you want to receive Christ, just pray this with me. Father God, I repent of sin. I turn to Jesus Christ. I confess him as my Lord and Savior from this moment onwards. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. Would you drop us a message and we would love to follow up with you.